yeah. <laughs> happy Father's Day. Let's have a shout out for those dads. Uh, on three, everybody, happy Father's Day. One, two, three. Happy Father's Day. Kids, did you get your dad a present? Shake your head if you did. How about this? Did any one of you, when you ask your dad, what do you want? Your dad said, uh, mm, I don't need anything. I think uh, some might, at least that's what my dad did. That's what he always said, so how do you know what to get him? I think I found the gift, though. When I was 12 years old, I gave my dad soap on a rope. You're asking, what is soap on a rope? Well, it is soap attached to a rope. And you put it and hang it in the shower. And it has the most amazing smell. It is English leather timberline. I still remember it because a month later, the soap on the rope was in my shower. But I suppose I do the same to my sons. And even when they're adults, they no longer ask me what I want uh, because I typically say, I, I'm fine, I, I got everything I needed. Till last year, I found out I didn't. There's something I really did need, and they found it and gave it to me. It was some tattoo sleeves. I bet some of you guys wish you had this to dress up like your dad. Yep, get all tatted up. Just what I needed, and I can drive my lawn tractor around and say, I got this. I'm in form. That's one thing I like about dads, you know. They have that sense of saying, hey, I got this. And in many ways, they do. They have a huge opportunity to bless their families by being that sense of calming presence and that sense of providing and protection. And when a dad says, I got this, and they say to their son, son, you got what it takes. That's a powerful blessing. Or to their daughter, you are my precious daughter that I love so much, not just because you're beautiful, but because you're my daughter. Or when the dad says to the mom, uh, not just yes, dear, but dear, what can I say yes to? How can I better listen? How can I better encourage? So we want to encourage you dads uh, to be there with that sense of, I got this one, and give out those blessings. It's, it's a big job. When I was... Uh, a father of life stage when I had three boys under the age of six. I remember driving home, and I would pull off to the side of the road occasionally, and I would get out of the car, and I would start walking around it, and I would say out loud, pastor, 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 father, 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 husband, 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 and then get back in the car and go home because I had to change my mindset. That's what's really important. Yeah, I got this one. Truth is, 
I didn't always. I don't always. I, I need help. You need help too. Not just dads. All of us. You see, if we say, hey, I don't need anything, that's not true. As human beings, we were created to have needs that are filled so that, well, so that we would be able to provide in such ways. Sometimes we pretend we don't. It's true. We have needs. There's one who has no needs. Our God, no God like ours. Our God is self-sufficient. We turn in the book of Acts and we find Paul in the city of Athens, a cultural and religious center, and he's in the Areopagus. Oh, there it is. He's in the Areopagus where they discuss religious matters. And this is what happens. As he's walking around, he sees the various idols, and then he makes this comment. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. To begin to understand God is to begin to understand that he is completely self-sufficient. And it's helpful to know that God really does not want to be treated as an object. He doesn't want to be objectified. Like the idols out there to be studied, that's not the kind of relationship he wants. And though we may not have him out like idols to be studied, sometimes we can objectify him with our personifications and make him to be something he's not. Our God is not a version of Santa Claus who just gives us seasonal gifts when we convince him we're good enough. Our God is not an angry parent that we try to understand how do we please. Our God uh, is not an uptight theologian that's always got to be right. Our God is not a distant watchmaker who simply built it all, turned it on, and left. Our God is the only true and living God. He will not be named by us, but will give him his own names. A name above every name, and the unnameable one must have many names. And so we have this God throughout the Bible uh, named as the Yahweh, the self-existent one, Elohim, the strong one, Adonai, the Lord, El Shaddai, the strongest of uh, the Almighty, El Yon, the strongest of the strong one, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lord God Most High. And this God will not be made an object. Sometimes we think that God um, has needs that we can meet for him. Maybe as if God has a human-sized hole in his heart 
they would only be filled by us. No. Um, God, when he made Adam, did not say, oh, you complete me. When he met Abram, he did not say, when I met you, my whole life came into focus. And he didn't say to Moses from the burning bush, Moses, you are such a gifted leader. I would be lost without you. You're my better half. No, God said, I am. He is sufficient by himself. And that is what Paul is showing the people who he is. But it is God's design that we would know him. We are hardwired with a need to know God. It, we have a God-sized hole in our soul that can only be filled by him and nothing else. And this is what Paul says as he continues to that point. Rather, God himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and their boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. And though he's not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. This self-sufficient God who does not need us wants to be known to us, wants to have us as a relationship with him. And this is how it can happen. There's three exchanges that take place. There's an exchange of love where he gives us his love, we give him ours. There's an exchange of sufficiency out of his self-sufficiency he gives and out of our sufficiency we give and blessing out of his blessing he gives and out of our blessing we give. And in that we get to know this God in a personal way, this self-sufficient one who invites us in. The first is an exchange of love. We get to know God not just by learning objective facts about him, because we could reduce him to an object. We get to know him by loving him and by receiving his love. In 1 John, it says it this way, and we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. See how close that is? In this way, love is made complete among us. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. There's two types of learning. Big words, but it's interesting, I think. Epistemological learning is when you know the facts. You know about something. You get it. Existential learning is when you experience something. It gets you. Here's the difference. Imagine I'm holding a baby and I observe the facts. This is a newborn. This is a rather large newborn, male, 
baby, 10 pounds, 6 ounces, looks a little bit like a sumo wrestler, knowing the facts. Existentially experiencing this newborn is my son. My life is different. I can't believe how much I already love him. I can't believe what a gift he is from God and how I treasure that and will do everything I can to honor uh, raising this child in, with the blessing of God on him. And I wonder who he is and what he's going to be like. I wonder if he's going to grow up and be a sumo wrestler. <laughs> it gets you. God invites you into that kind of relationship to know him, to know his love. When we think of God and his um, being able to be self-sufficient, we think of the three-in-one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in perfect unity, in perfect joy, in perfect love. And it's even described as a divine dance. And nothing else needs to be added to it to make it complete because it's sufficient in and of itself. This is who God is. But that love is so powerful. It overflows because that who God is. And God wants to invite you, he wants to invite me into that love with him even this side of heaven and on the other side of heaven, to experience existentially, really connected with him in that love. It changes lives. For Paul, it changed his life. For you see, he knew all about God. And as such, he even persecuted those who held up Christ to be the Messiah. He held the coats as Stephen was stoned. He held the coats of those throwing the stones. But when Jesus met him and he met the love of Jesus, his life changed. And now we find him in Athens proclaiming this God. And he uses some of the same sermon that Stephen did. This God will not be housed in temples made by human hands. No, he's self-sufficient. But know his love. God's love is seen perhaps most dramatically when we see that in this divine dance, his love compelled Jesus to take on human nature with his divine nature, enter our world, and live in our place, both as full human with all the needs that are human and are good needs, but also as the divine who would with the human, one person, one complete and whole person, take on himself the sin of the world as he went to the cross in our place to pay the debt of our sin that could be described even as our own stubborn self-sufficiency saying, I don't need God. The truth is, 
I do. And without what Jesus has done for me, I would find no sufficiency. So today I invite you to do the exchange, to encounter him. The exchange of God's love for you and the response of simply saying, I, I, I love you, God. And to say it regularly and often and to live it and to experience him is coming to know who he is. And the second thing that we exchange is our sufficiency. But God supplies sufficiency from his self-sufficiency. And what we exchange is our weaknesses. This was written by Paul in uh, uh, the 12th chapter of Acts. Uh, No, Corinthians. He says this. After he was plagued with an ailment, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Are you going through a time of difficulty, trial, even tribulation? Maybe it's an opportunity to exchange your weakness for his supply. A young father once spoke some words that I will remember all my days. He was heartbroken. He had just heard the news and the heartbreaking news that the doctors told him that the medical condition of his son would likely end his son's life. In other words, there's nothing left the doctors could do. And it was a time of grieving. And in the tears he said, I feel so helpless. But then he said, maybe that's a good place to be. It's complete humility, complete dependence. Maybe we come to know God's sufficiency when we are emptied of our own. Maybe that's how Christ's power rests on us. The last exchange is the exchange of blessing. God blesses us. When the disciples on Easter night were still reeling from the crucifixion of Jesus. They couldn't grasp that he was to be raised again. They were unbelievers. They were hiding behind locked doors. They thought it was all over, but Jesus appeared to them, and he said these words, Shalom Aleichem. And those words mean peace be with you. It's a typical Hebrew blessing or greeting and recorded in the Bible it's said by Jesus at no time before then but then he says it shalom alaikum but that is perhaps because shalom means much more than peace it means well-being it means security Uh, it, it means fulfillment it means wholeness and that's what Jesus blessed us with 700 years earlier the prophet wrote Uh, by his stripes 
we are healed and the punishment that has brought us shalom was laid on him. Because of that he's done for them, he gave shalom and so he does for you and for me. This is a blessing, a wholeness, and a peace that even accompanies us through those trials and difficulties, but is not to be kept to ourselves. It's something we're commended to share with our families, our friends, neighbors, acquaintances, our enemies. It is the shalom that God gives to the world because God is self-sufficient and we receive sufficiency from that. So fathers and families, today I leave you with a blessing. You know, if you're going through a time of difficulty, I invite you to turn to him and say, Lord, it's just bigger than me. You have got to take care of it. And you'll hear him say, I got this one. He's sufficient. And then you can hear him say, right from Scripture, his grace is sufficient from you, for his power is made perfect in weakness. May that be your knowledge of God today. He is self-sufficient. Amen.